up here. I am half blind. I don't want to be looking at my watch to see where I'm at for the, for the 8 o'clock rule. So I'm going to get my phone out. Put it right here. Okay. You guys can't look at yours. I'll look at mine. Don't look at yours. All right. Is it okay that I'm down here? Down on your level? <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. I just, I'm not one for the bright lights. And it's, since I'm fat, I sweat easy. So, anyway, now that we got that out of the way, um, I do appreciate you guys being here tonight. And you're probably wondering what on earth is he doing up there? And that's okay, because I'm wondering the same thing. What am I doing up here? Um, when, you, when you've been preaching for 40 years, um, a one-week notice, probably not such a big deal, right? But when you can count on one two-fingered hand how many times you preached, a week's notice is, uh, is a little bit tough. But having said that, um, there's some things that have been on my heart the last, last several weeks, and so I'm, I'm kind of cheating tonight. Um, and so, as you may or may not know, my wife and I, we work in the college and career uh, class, and so I've been teaching there for a few years now, and we're in the middle of a series on, on the heart. And so I thought, well, this would be good, because this has kind of been a topic that has been on, on, on my mind and my heart, and for myself, for my family, for our class, and even for our church, really. So I figured, well, hey, um, this could be something that maybe the whole church could benefit from. So uh, as I began to dig around and, and look for some uh, some direction and things on, on which uh, direction to go. I, I had it narrowed down to two, two outlines, okay? Um, one of them is what we're using actually here this morning. And I don't know, I sent, I emailed this stuff to Brother Jake, and I did it kind of late, so I apologize if you did not get that. Um, so I don't know if it's going to be ready. But so tonight we're going to look at um, losing the fight that we think we are winning, all right? Um, this is the series that we're doing is actually called The Heart of the Problem. And if Jacob's not in here, we have to own money. But we did a contest, um, and I took everybody's ideas in the class of what to name the class based on the heart. And it had to be after either a song or a movie title. And I was, and the winner was going to get a Starbucks gift card. And so Jacob McGregor won. The Heart of the Problem is, was the name of the series, but we're talking about replacing your desire for sin with desire for God. And if anything, I don't know if these college and career people have actually got anything out of this. I know I have just by, by teaching it. Um, but, uh, so for some of you guys, this might not be new for you tonight, um, but it might be because you could have been sleeping in class. I'm not real sure. <laughs> so pay attention anyway, because this is, this is good stuff. And I just remembered, Miss Diana, I have announcement. There's announcement, right? So, um, Miss Shea's Sunday school class. All right. We, if there's somebody that can help her be her helper in her Sunday school class, that is the, what is that? The kindergarten and younger age range, somewhere around there for Sunday school, um, she could use a helper in that class. So uh, if you're a lady and you want to be a blessing, please see Miss uh, Diana after the service. <clears throat> anyway, back to the regularly scheduled program here. So losing the fight, we think we're winning. Um, it is my goal to get us out of here on time, and it is always my goal in Sunday school to do that. It just all depends on the rabbit trails and the stories my wife tells um, <laughs> and so forth. So uh, Isaiah chapter 29 is where we're going to be here tonight, and we will... We'll jump around a little bit, um, but just our main text, Isaiah 29, verse 13. Losing the fight, we think we are winning. Um, the other one I didn't tell you about, and I was kind of hesitant to, um, but it was going to be titled, um, Stop Saying No to Sin. 
But I didn't go with that one because I figured since we're all a bunch of legalist Baptists, we all just get up and walk out. So um, I didn't go with that one. I'm kidding, kind of. Anyway, so, so we're going with losing the fight that we think we're winning. Isaiah 29, chapter 29, verse 13, uh, the Bible says this, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught, by the precept of men. One more time. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips uh, do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their feet toward me, uh, and their fear toward me, rather, is taught by the precept uh, of men. Let's go and open a word of prayer, and we will uh, see what we see here. God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for a good day to be in church, and we thank you for the faithfulness of your people to be here tonight and to hear your word. And I pray, God, that you just remove me from the equation, Lord, and I pray that your spirit would work in me. Um, that uh, this could be something usable and, and effective and applicable uh, to everybody in here tonight. And I pray that you also just be with our pastor and our associate pastor as they're out traveling. Give them safety um, as they uh, seek to do your work and bring them back home safely as well. And bless the night. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, when I was in middle school, so I went to the same school from about third grade all the way up until high school graduation. And I, so I went to the same school most of my life. And I was an ACE nerd. Any ACE nerds in the house? Everybody's all scared to raise their hand. I'm ACE. Well, if you, yeah, if you know what ACE is, you know what ACE is. And it stands for Accelerated Christian Education. You know, we have uh, Ace Virtuous in and Pudge Meekway. He was my favorite. Um, and all these oddly named kids that were named after good virtues and stuff. Um, so, actually, Ronnie was my favorite. But anyway... Um, those of you who are ACE would understand that. So we had the ACE room was basically, for me, it was like third grade all the way up to 12th grade, okay? All in one giant room, and we had these desks that were, I don't know, six to eight feet long. And then within those desks would have, they made these little cubbies for each person, right? And you had your little wooden dividers, right? ACE people, understand? So you can't like, it was a big no-no to peek around and talk to your neighbor, so you have to kind of like lift the thing up and slide notes and the kind of thing, you know, and try not to get caught. So when I was in middle school, um, we had, so you had your monitor, which was just the standard teacher who'd kind of roam around and, and help out. And then you had the supervisor who was like the monitor plus one. He was, you know, he or she was the um, kind of the boss and they, they had their own specific duties and they were kind of in charge. And so our supervisor, <clears throat> I, I won't give you his name, but Brother Holmes was a big man. <laughs> he was tall, he was athletic, he was scary when you're in middle school. Big guy, scary guy. Um, and it was his goal in life to scare you half to death to keep you from doing right. But, okay, I am, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm over 40, all right? That was tough for me to say, sorry. <laughs> so the era I grew up in was a little bit different. Those of us who are, you know, late 30s and our 40s and older. Um, so Brother Holmes <clears throat> was not, excuse me, Monday night was a rough game for me. I, <clears throat> if any of you, any Seahawks fans, I'm still trying to recover. But the uh, Brother Holmes was this, uh, he was not afraid to come by Brother Lance and find the little hairs on the back of your neck, right? If you caught you doing something. Or maybe give you the, the, the death claw grip on the back of your neck. Like, what are you doing? And his favorite thing was like, what are you doing, Frenchman? That was his thing. I'm like, what? I don't know what a Frenchman, I don't even know what that means. To this day, I don't even like French people just because of Brother Holmes. I mean, their fries are good, but outside of that. So, um, and, or, you know, or, or a little bit of public humiliation here and there. Never, uh, 
never he was never afraid of, you know. And um, well, of course, this is back in the day when you when you get spanked at school too. So um, he got away with quite a, quite a bit back then. So um, one time in middle school, and we had played junior P and stuff, and he would always play to win. And so sometimes he would cheat when his team's not winning. He's a strange, strange guy. So, so one time, there's this girl. It's never a good story when you start a story. So there's this girl <laughs> that I had this crush on. You know, you're in middle school, whatever. We weren't getting married or nothing. So, um, so she sends me this note, and it was successful. I got it. I'm reading it. Okay, this is cool. Can you please write me back? Oh, well, yeah. I can write you back. So I get my paper out, my pen out, and I'm writing her back. And whatever it is I'm saying, I can't remember. Because all I remember is what happened afterwards. <laughs> and one of the monitors catches it. Like, man, okay, well, bummer. I'm going to get a detention. That's not good because my dad hates those. Um, but she had the audacity to give it to Brother Holmes. You, <laughs> she hated me, I guess. So he gets it, and then if you know how ACE program works, when it's break time, the whole class, okay, it's time for break, you know. But oh no, it was, all right, we're getting ready for break, but first, there's something I want you all to hear. Matt, Matt is sending a note to so-and-so, and it's just the sweetest note. I just want you all to hear what he had to say in front of the entire class, which at back then it probably felt like a thousand people, probably like 20 of us. But no, there's a little more than that. But it's just, so then he began to read it line by line. And then it's just like, oh, hey, now everybody except for Matt, he's got to stay in on break because he's on the attention. The rest of you can go out and play and have fun. Um, <clears throat> but Brother Holmes figured out a way to strike the fear of God in, in us as, as students. We were deathly afraid of that guy for many reasons. You know, no one wants to be called a Frenchman. But <laughs> whatever that even means, I still don't know. Um, it's probably something vulgar in here I'm talking about in church. But <clears throat> so we, we always did our best to mind our P's and Q's when Brother Holmes was around because we didn't want to get the, the death claw grip on the back of our neck. Or, you know, the, we used to call it the monkey scream because they grabbed me, you know, in the back of the, back of the neck. Um, so, we, so I was faced with the desire. So when I was faced with the desire to break a rule, I chose to do right based on my fear of all these things and all these scenarios that I could possibly face um, from, from this teacher. Was I fighting the battle against sin? Was I fighting the battle to do right? Was I fighting the battle to obey the school rules because I had a heart that truly desired to do right and to please God? No, probably not. I mean, ask any middle school boy, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, I, the fear of, of anything with that. And I'd venture to say no, um, and since it was me, I'm going to tell you no. Um, that was not the case. My desire to do right had nothing to do with the fact that I just wanted to please God because I just love God so much. No, my, I didn't want to get my rear beat in school um, from, from this guy. And I merely didn't want to get publicly, publicly humiliated in, in front of the whole class. And um, I was in self-salvation mode, I guess you could call it. Um, in the end, my desire, my decisions to, to do right, I guess you could say, had nothing to do with my heart. It was all based out of guilt and, and out of fear and out of shame and out of a self-salvation mentality to, to save myself um, from whatever it is that I was trying to save myself from. And as, and this is, as believers, we do this all the time, all the time. Whether we think we do or not, we do it all the time. Um, though from the outside, it may look like a win by when we choose to do right. And get me, don't get me wrong, doing right is always right. 
right? I think we understand that. So even if you're doing right for the wrong reasons, you should probably still always do right. But the point I'm trying to get across is we, we see something happen that's right. We see somebody do right. Man, they did right. Good job. Way to do right. Way to be good. You know, way to do right. And that's how we base a lot of things. Um, so though the, from the outside, it may look like a win by choosing to do right. The heart's desire was actually in self-salvation mode. The reason behind, the motivation behind that, referring back to Isaiah 29, for as much as this people draw, draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. So many times, believers, we know what to say. We know how to act. We know what to do. But our hearts are nowhere near um, where they ought to be when it comes to having a desire for the Lord. So by way of um, outline here tonight, ultimately what ends up happening is, number one, is defensive reactions turn into uh, offensive weapons. Our defensive reactions turn into offensive weapons. See, when we fight sin with guilt and with fear and shame, it's a common avenue that we tread because we're action-based. We're action-driven as human beings. Does that make sense? Um, so it makes us feel better about ourselves through the end result of doing good, right? When we do good, we feel pretty good about ourselves, right? We do things that are right. Oh, yeah, I feel good. Let's pat myself on the, you know, you hear that? Don't break your arm, pat yourself on the back kind of a thing. But we are so action-driven in by, by that I mean we, we focus on results. You know what I mean? Um, how do you, you ever on a project at work and your boss says, I don't care how you get it done. Just get it done, right? When you got a headache and your kids are fighting, I don't care. Shut up. I got a headache. Your, your end goal is the action of stop fighting so my head stops hurting, right? It's, we, we rarely, um, dare I say rarely, concentrate on the motive behind why we do the things that we do. It's, you know, kiss and make up. Tell them you're sorry. I don't, I don't care. I just want to see results. And we do that a lot because that is what society does. That is what the world is very action-based. And, and that's what we look at a lot of times even as, as, as believers. And when we choose to fight sin with, with fear and with guilt and with shame and with this mode of self-salvation, we end up failing on a couple of different fronts. So the first one, letter A here, is we end up fighting sin with more sin. Um, we, under, we understand that God can, and he has, implemented chastisement toward his people for their disobedience, right? I think we all probably understand that. I think we've all have, have disobeyed Christ and suffered the consequences, um, as well as he allows us to uh, suffer the consequences of our own poor choices and our own poor actions. I think we have all have experienced that as well, right? Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. I don't know. I could probably use it. Um, so while there, there may be something to say regarding fearing or respecting the Lord for our own good and for our own safety, um, unlike middle school Matt, right, um, or middle school Matthew, I think it was back then, um, who was in self-salvation mode to avoid repercussion, our decision to fight sin ought to stem from our love for Christ and deepest desire to please and to glorify the Father. And that's the way that ought to be. But so many times we fail. We fail on that front. Um, and it's not for our friends, it's not for our parents, although we do need to honor our parents. Um, it's not for our kids, it's not for our spouses, it's not for our pastor, it's not for our boyfriend, for our girlfriend. It's not for any, anybody else except to please God the Father alone. And I understand we, we honor our parents and out of our love for our parents because, um, because of all that. So I'm not trying to twist anything around. My, the point I'm trying to get at is if we are doing anything outside of... Um, 
that is, that is driving us to do right and to do good outside of our love and desire for Christ, it's not the right, it's not the right motive. Um, if, if I'm to please my children, if I'm to please my wife properly as, as a dad and as a husband, as a, as a leader of my home, my goal ought to be to please my God first, right? Uh, my heart for God, my desire for God ought to be my number one goal, my number one desire so that my wife and so that my kids can get the best out of me that they possibly can. And it's vice versa for as my, uh, my wife to be the right kind of wife that she needs to be and the, and the homemaker and the helpmeet and um, my, ki- my kids, they have no hope. But, um, but Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through uh, 16 says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? So what, so what then? Do we, can we now just do whatever? How many times have you had that conversation with people? I have. Well, we're under grace, bro. We can kind of do whatever now. It don't matter. We're under God forgives everybody. We we can live. Don't judge me. You don't know my heart. You know, you get that you ever get in those conversations? I can do whatever I want. It's just between me and God. And I'm under grace. I'm not under law. Go check your box, you Baptist legalist. And you get all this, all this stuff. But the reality of it is. We look at it the total wrong way. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? What does God say right there? God forbid. No, no. That doesn't mean that. That's, I don't think that means what you think that means, right? Um, in reality, it's because we're under grace. It's because who God is and who he represents and what he's, what he's done for us. That's why we live. Um, that's why we yield ourselves unto God. And that's why we're, uh, we separate ourselves um, um, from the death of sin. So that, and then it goes on to say in verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Whatever you're giving yourself over to, that's where you're going to be enslaved. Um, and it's by the grace of God. We, we revel in the grace of God, not because we're no longer under the law, therefore we, we don't have to be obedient anymore. Um, but that's a lot of a Christian's mentality is that. And what we end up doing is we end up fighting sin with more sin. And so to fight sin solely based upon the do right or else ultimatum to avoid a specific repercussion really is kind of a, ultimately a form of idolatry, if you think about it, right? Where we're essentially putting our own selfish motives for fighting sin or for, or, or for whatever the self-salvation mode is that we're in. Um, or maybe for the pleasing of other people, we're putting all that ahead of God, which is a form of idolatry. Why, why, are we do, why do we do what we're doing? Um, are we driven because we're led of the Holy Spirit and because of our desire really to please God? Or are we doing what we're doing because, well, man, if I don't go to church on Sunday morning, my Sunday school teacher is going to browbeat me to death, you know? So I guess I'll get up and go there, you know? And then you just go to church and you're miserable because you don't want to be there anyway, you know? Um, and we, but that's, that's a mentality we get. We, if we put ourselves in this situation, what we're doing is just in self-salvation mode, which is a form of idolatry. You're putting that ahead of our desire for God. 
when we fight sin by any means, <clears throat> excuse me, by, by any means other than gospel-motivated affections, we are fighting sin with sin. And it's not a, that's not a true rewiring of a heart. That's not the true heart uh, desire that God would have for his people. So, um, so the first one, the couple different fronts we talked about, we end up fighting sin with more sin. Secondly, we end up fighting sin without ever harming it. <laughs> we end up fighting sin without ever harming it. Um, have you ever taken on something that just kind of felt like a losing battle, no matter how hard you tried? Probably almost daily, it seems like for me, for at certain times. Um, it could be work, it could be really anything, it could be a project at home. For me, my latest one was, was this project I had. Um, homeownership is great. I do enjoy it. It is a blessing, and I, I, I make fun of our house quite a bit, just to pick on my wife, because she hates it when I do. Um, but I, I'm really thankful for the, for the home that God has provided. Huge answer to prayer. It's a miracle, totally different story in and of itself. Um, but the people who made it, the people who built it, um, were, did a terrible job. Um, so our center island has a light fixture that is off-center by about four feet. So we have one section of the kitchen that's lit up, and the whole rest is all dark. So when it gets this time of year and stuff, it gets kind of dark in the kitchen. So when I got my wife in there cooking... Then, <laughs> not anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, she can't see, and so sometimes they're like, "Wow, maybe you really can't see." What was it? I'm just kidding. Um, so I'm like, "I'm gonna fix that." We want pendant lights in our kitchen. So here I go. I'm like, "I got the project. I got all the. I got some good deals. I got some things. So I'm gonna get this figured out." So I rip off the the ceiling fixture and I pull the wires down through the electrical box. I'm like, "Okay." Before I put everything together, I want to make sure that things are working. So I put everything together. I put the, the, all the wires. I hook up one pendant light, okay? Once I get that one right, everything should fall into place. So I hook it all up, flip the switch. Ah, we have light. I am now an electrician. So 200 bucks an hour, that's all. You got my number. So anyway... So I'm like, okay, this is good. So I'm going to start putting all this together. So I get everything. And it's one of these situations where you kind of have to have everything all up there at once before, you know, I don't, yeah. Anyway, so I get it all up there. I'm right before I'm zipping it all up. Okay, Jamie, you ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. Nothing. What'd you do? You know, so I'm like, man, maybe, maybe the light bulbs are bad. Did, what, do they expire like batteries? What? How do you... And tree hugger light bulbs, so I'm swapping out light bulbs, trying to think of the very easiest things to do that would, I think would just totally fix the problem, right? Um, clicking on stuff, and it's not working. Um, I'm checking the circuit breaker, nothing. I'm looking at the light switch, you know, as if I know what I'm looking at. <laughs> Smelling around, something smelled burnt, you know, and nothing. I'm like, well, this is weird. I'm getting frustrated. What was like a four-hour project is now taking like two days, and so... And now I have to start taking this thing back apart to try to figure out what's going on. So I'm up there. If you picture a man of my size up on a center island in the kitchen, you know, and I got stuff all hanging everywhere. I'm holding stuff with every limb I could possibly, you know, I got, I'm, I'm making up yoga poses as I go along. And my body is hurting now because I'm doing it for a really long time. And I'm trying to get, Jamie's like, you want some help? No. You know, and it's just, <laughs> I got this. <laughs> right, men? You know, believe me, I don't need your help. So um, anyway. So I, but the problem is, is I had to take everything apart and start all over from scratch to figure out what the problem was. 
and I could not get to the problem unless I dug down into the issue. And when they built the house, the neutral wire, you need to have a neutral wire connected so it completes the circuit so you can have light. Um, the neutral wire came up about six inches short from the electrical box. I don't, I don't, I don't even know how that is even possible. So they put a jumper wire and attached that to the neutral wire and attached that to my light fixture. That jumper wire, I was pulling on stuff, boop, it came loose. Aha! This better fix it. So I tightened it down with the, with the wire nut put all together. I'm an electrician again, everything works. And my wife can now cook in the light. Um, but the reality of it is, is I was tinkering with all these external problems and all these ideas without actually getting to the heart of the problem itself. And, and get this, an improperly internal wiring issue that needed to get fixed, right? Pun intended. Um, I, until I actually tore everything apart and revealed what the problem was so I could actually fix the issue, I could have been flipping light switches all day. I could have been flushing toilets and doing all sorts of weird stuff thinking that was going to fix my light until I actually got in there and started playing around with the... I'm, praise the Lord, I didn't die. I don't know what in the world I was doing up there. But... Um, I have a lot more respect for electricians now, that is for sure. Um, but as Christians, we, we do that so much all the time, don't we? We try to combat sin by whatever avenue necessary except for the avenue that fixes the actual problem. We do that all the time because we're action-based. We, we, we attack a sin without actually attacking the problem that is causing the sin, right? Does that make sense? Um, we fight, essentially we're fighting in vain. We, we fight sin without ever even harming it. Um, we treat the possible symptoms without ever getting to the disease, and it just doesn't work. And what this is is actually a problem with letter I here um, underneath uh, that subpoint B is it's a problem with acting rightly versus being rightly motivated. Now, I'm, I'm going to be careful with this, okay? I, you guys need to pay attention a little bit to make sure that we're all on the same page so it doesn't sound like I'm preaching heresy here tonight. Um, but this is talking about acting rightly versus being rightly motivated. Christian culture often prizes behavior modification over heart transformation. I, I truly believe that and, that, and I think that society does that. And I think we a lot of times take that even for ourselves as Christians. And we look at behavior, uh, as uh, behavior modification is, is the end-all fix because we just want to see a result. Um, Prizing right behavior over right motivation has created one of the greatest idols and false sin strategies that guilt, shame, and fear have ever constructed. This idea has, has ruined homes, it's ruined marriages, it's ruined relationships, it's ruined churches, um, because we refuse to get to the heart of issues. Um, and, and when I talk about acting rightly, again, remember, it's always right to do right, right? Okay, so... Um, but when we do that, a lot of times we do this as um, a type of a as type of a guardrail, or maybe if you're a bowler, a bumper. We have any bumper bowlers in here? Um, you know, the, the guardrail might keep you from plummeting into your in, into the ditch, right? The bumpers are there to keep you from t making that walk of shame back to your seat after throwing a, throwing a gutter ball, you know. Um, and if you remember Brother Lamar preached on uh, Sunday night when he had a little side note and talked about, um, uh, uh, what's the word, boundaries, right? And, and setting up different boundaries in our homes and for ourselves and for our kids. Man, there is, I cannot express to you how vital that is in, in the life of, of believers. 
of how we need to set up the different parameters and set up the guardrails and the bumpers in our lives and the importance, and importance of that. Um, when, uh, <laughs> when Danny was little, so we are now the proud parent of a college kid, which is still hard to believe, but Danny was probably, she was probably six, maybe seven. And we had, we were very strict. Education um, was very important um, in our home after I got out of high school, obviously. <laughs> Not while I was in school. Um, it, was, it was important for me for my kids. How about that? Um, but so we were very strict on, on things like that, and detentions equaled spankings. We, we, didn't, we didn't put up with that. Um, and that was a very strict rule. And um, our kids were young, didn't really have to mess with that very often. But um, Danny was about seven, I think, right? About six or seven. And Jamie's like, where are you going with this? Um, they came home from school one day, and uh, Danny had to, <laughs> she had to fess up what had happened, that she had got a detention, and that she got a detention for cheating. So, of course, I wasn't super happy about this, and matter of fact, I was a little bit upset about this, and um, so, oh yeah, so we have this, this is not candy. So this bad boy right here is wore out. I want to tell you, it's not war, it's probably more wore out from me because this was my dad's. <laughs> and it was, it, it was used on all of us except for my sister. She never got in trouble for anything. But my, he, we had two. The first one broke on my brother's backside. So my dad had to make another one. Um, and this is that one. And he gave it to me shortly after we had, after we got married and had kids. I don't know if that was a, a message, a hint, or what, but <laughs> he gave this to us, and so long live the Harrington spanking paddle. I think that's blood right there, too. I'm not really sure. So we kept this baby, and this thing, I still get scared to even touch this sometimes because of the fear that this, this wrought in my life, but we kept this in a drawer in the kitchen, and Danny had fessed up, and she said, you know, uh, I got a detention for cheating, and she's already a little bit on edge, you know, and so I looked at her very sternly. I said, Danny, Go to the drawer, get the spanking stick, and go to your room. I'll be there in a minute. It was so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she goes into the bedroom. I start laughing. <laughs> but I'm still upset because, because of what she did. What she did was wrong. And as a parent, when, when your kids, um, and I, okay, she's six, seven years old. Give her a break. No, we're not giving her a break. Um, but it, it does hurt when, you, when your kids fail you, when your kids are disobedient and things like that. And um, she was already pretty distraught at this point. Um, and at first, at first I thought, she just doesn't want to get a spanking. But what it is customary for us is, unlike what my parents did to me, um, just kind of beat your tail and send you on your merry way, um, I, I'd sit down with my kids and we'd have a little bit of discussion. You understand? why you're about to get the beating of your life, kind of a thing. And um, so Danny was visibly shaken already, um, just from, from knowing uh, the situation. And I went into her bedroom, and I sat down, got the spanking stick, kind of put on my leg, did a little one of these numbers. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, she, and she's by this time, she's a wreck. And I'm like, so Dan, you realize what you did, right? She's like, yeah. 
I cheated. I, I know I shouldn't have cheated. I'm so sorry, Dad. You know, and, and she's gone for a bit, and I'm like, and you understand now what's going to happen, right? And she's like, yeah, I, I know. I, I cheated, and I, I deserve a spanking, Dad. I knew what I did was wrong. And I don't, I never claimed to know anybody's heart because we can't. But if I could, that one time, <laughs> I could say, she was broken. And I know it's a, it's a simple illustration. It's something, you may just look at as something as simple as a little rotten, cheating seven-year-old. But she was broken. She knew that she, that she hurt her father and for, what, and for what all this was. And the, the illustration that this has, and really the, the story that this tells for me, just kind of points back to the grace of God. And this is, has nothing to do with the, the message tonight about so many, how much grace God gives us time and time again for what we deserve. Um, like, can you imagine how many times God busts out the, the heavenly whooping stick and decides maybe to set it down and say, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to show you a little bit of grace. And so I knew I didn't have to spank her that, that time. <laughs> um, she never cheated again that I'm aware of. But, um, but I knew there was, a, there was a heart transformation there. And I picked her up, sat her in my lap, and I said, listen, I'm going to give you grace. But don't do it again. <laughs> but I'm going to give you grace because I truly believe you. And I, I saw that, the, I don't know if it was just the, what it was, if it was God-ordained or what, just to kind of, as a reminder for me. Um, but we hope, when we talk about guardrails and we talk about bumpers and all these different things, we, we hope when we set them that they will, they will stick, but it doesn't mean that they will because we need to have a change of heart. <laughs> it needs to be a, a heart's desire for us to want to please God and for us to want to please our Father, right? Um, so please know that I'm personally not against guardrails and bumpers. Please don't go tell Lamar, Matt, just said guardrails and bumpers are for, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't set boundaries in our lives. Um, as I believe they really can be very helpful and, and needful in many, if not all, situations and circumstances. However, we must, listen, we must never think that setting them, setting, up, setting them up will actually fix the root of any type of problem. Because only a change in a rewiring of our heart can do that. Um, when I was much fatter than I am now, I decided to stop drinking sugar drinks like um, different juices and pop or soda, whatever you guys call it bubblies for you millennials um, and and I noticed the impact right away that okay this lower intake of sugar actually I feel better you know it's a little bit of a health improvement and things like that and I started losing weight just from uh, reducing my sugar intake and so I would have something a sugar drink maybe once or twice a year and it's just like oh that's gross you know it doesn't even taste good it's kind of sickly sweet it's not even good anymore you know what I mean and so to the point to where I don't even like it. I don't even like, you know, unless it's, unless it's like ginger ale is really good. <laughs> ginger beer specifically, but I don't know if I can say beer in church. Because it's not real beer, guys, just let you know. Um, but I don't drink anymore because it's just gross. It's not good. But you know what? This should go on a t-shirt. Sin ain't soda. What do you mean? 
just because we maybe do something good, just because we put something away, doesn't mean that we've killed any type of desire. <clears throat> and I've learned this the hard way myself. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we all probably have in, in one aspect or another. Um, and, I, man, I applaud those who, um, I, my kid's not getting a cell phone until they're 45 years old, you know. And we don't have a TV in our house because all the garbage. That's, that is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's people who have cell phones and there's people who have TVs and people who have Internet um, who have no desire for those things. Um, so I just want to be careful with that mentality of thinking that just because we're going to um, put something away doesn't mean that we're killing anything. We could still have a desire to do a whole bunch of stuff just because it's not in front of us. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't be setting boundaries because that is a huge part of our, of our Christian walk with the Lord, but we have to really be careful and understand that sin ain't soda, right? Ultimately, using guardrails to keep yourself from certain sinful activities doesn't actually kill sin. In fact, a lot of times it doesn't even really harm sin. Truth be told, in some cases, it can actually keep you from having to go through the heart-transforming, sin-killing, God-glorifying process of becoming more like Jesus. Because we're not actually getting to the heart of the problem, we're just kind of tucking under the bed. I had a music problem all my life growing up. Man, I loved worldly, worldly music. Oh, I loved 80s and, and 90s rock and roll, man. That was good stuff. The stuff they got now is like, what, is, what, do, what do people listen to? What is this? Give me, the, give me these good ballads, man. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, Lance? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> no, not anymore. That's what I meant. I meant to say you know what I meant, not, not, not what I mean. But, <laughs> um, but I didn't, I had a desire. I would put it away. I would, okay, I'm getting rid of this, and I would throw it in the trash. But I never hated it like God wanted me to hate it. You know what I mean? Um, there's a huge difference between just trying to put something away out of sight. There's no such thing as out of sight, out of mind, usually when it comes to sin, because sin is always in our mind unless we've killed it, unless we put our desire for God over it. Um, so we have to be careful. I'm, I'm going to wrap this up here. We need, to, we need to be done. There are dangerous consequences of cleaning up your act without actually cleaning up your heart. Very, very dangerous consequences. Um, King David, right? He tried to do all sorts of act cleaning until he got to the heart of the problem. Psalm 51.10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He didn't say, Create in me a clean action, O God, and renew all my actions. He said, Create in me a clean heart, because that's where everything starts. Um, Brother Jones preached our revival and talked about the, um, loving, the God, loving God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, everything we have, everything else, from there, it all hinges right on that. But man, if we don't have a desire for God, if we don't have a love for God like we should, how are we going to expect anything else to work properly? It's going to be awfully hard. I'll be the first to admit, super hard. We need to understand the injury that can take place when we think prohibiting the sin in our hands can be done at the expense in our hearts. Very dangerous. Although saying no is always the idea when it comes to sin, um, the actions of sin are not something to which we can just uh, we we can just say no. All right. What we need is something much much more effective. What we need is to say yes to Jesus. James chapter four verses seven and eight. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. See, I told you. We just have to. It says resist the devil. And if the devil doesn't like it. 
he can just go sit on attack, right? Take that, devil, go sit yourself on attack. Get out of here, stupid, dumb song. Sorry, Miss Diana. Sorry for all you kids who like that dumb song, but it's a dumb song. Sit on attack. But what does it say in James 4, the beginning part of that? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Very first and foremost, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Our hearts need new powerful affections. You'll never resist the devil if you don't submit to the Almighty God to whom you can draw near. It's just not, not going to happen. God first gave us his yes in Jesus so that every yes that we give back to him is a, just a joyful response to his grace, ultimately. So um, that is that. I hope it made sense. Sometimes when I'm studying and I'm typing stuff out, it makes sense in my head and it never comes out the way I imagine it. So I usually have to go to my wife and say, so did I preach complete heresy? She's like, nah, sometimes. No, but. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys. Uh, I hope that was encouraging to you. Just, just studying this whole series has been an encouragement to me about why I do what I do and what drives my actions. And um, is my heart wired for Christ like it, like it should be? Are we replacing our desire for sin with desire for God? Um, are we losing the fight that we think we're winning? Man, a lot of questions that could be answered there. So. Um, we're going to go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And I, after that, um, if you guys just please take a little bit uh, and just uh, take advantage of a time of prayer. Again, please be in prayer for our pastor, my brother Lamar. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. And again, also spe uh, specifically for the Warnickies, I know I know Brother Josh. I went to college with him. Great guy. He's been around here um, on a few different occasions. So please be in prayer for the Warnicky family also. Okay, let's let's uh, go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We do 